This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the podcast series Mystic Tales of the Unknown Universe. MTW brings you mysteries, the unknown, conspiracies, and the occasional restaurant review from around the world. Mystic Tales of the Unknown Universe. It really finds its voice in the 46th episode. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And we're wrapping up another franchise this week on Pod Cemetery with 1989's Ghostbusters 2 and 2021's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Well, wrapping you up say for wrapping now. Wrapping it up. But... Yeah, yeah, for now. There will be more, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Starting off with our classic film, 1989's Ghostbusters 2. Directed once again by Ivan Reitman and written once again by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and Peter McNichol. Oh, and Wilhelm von Homburg, who was in Die Hard. This is the third Die Hard cast member in a Ghostbusters movie. Who? Wilhelm von Homburg. Oh, the guy who... No, the guy Vigo. in the painting, Vigo. Yeah. He's one of the bad guys from Die Hard? Yes, he is. Hmm. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. He also doesn't do the voice, because the voice is done by Max von Sydow. And wasn't the guy mad? Yeah. By accounts, he stormed out of the premiere, because that's how he found out. Just like Darth Vader, I guess. <laughs> that sucks. It sucks to find out that yeah. way. I feel like I remember hearing that he's not a good guy, so I don't feel so bad. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Cannot confirm. What is Ghostbusters 2 about, Kelsey? Five years after what happened the first time, everybody's just kind of lost faith in them, because I guess there just hasn't been any no ghost ghosts. sightings. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they're pretty much run out of business. But... This Carpathian magician? Prince and magician. This is Prince Vigo, the ruler of Carpathian Moldavia. Bit of a sissy, isn't he? He was a very powerful magician, Dr. Rinkman. And uh, a genius in many ways. He was also a lunatic and a genocidal madman. Put a curse on a painting (laughs) so that he could come back if there was enough anger and hatred in the world i don't really know sounds like you got that right about yeah accurate yeah Did I get it right? <laughs> yeah i think you got it right and um it takes the ghostbusters to take him down again the movie is available on amc plus freeform direct tv sling and spectrum on demand you can rent it for three to four dollars and buy it for 14 to 15 kelsey should people watch ghostbusters 2 Yes, and I don't get why so many people hate it. Yeah, the way I see it, 
liking this one more because it's the one that you saw. That's my perspective on it, at least, right? Like, I, I knew Ghostbusters from the cartoon, and I knew Ghostbusters from this movie way more than I knew it from the original. It feels like what I imagine it must feel like for people who grew up around the turn of the millennium, and their Star Wars was the prequels. You know, and we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Those movies are fucking garbage. And they're like, they're actually better than you might think. And like trying to defend them. <laughs> because those are the ones that they grew up with. That's the Star Wars that was at the time. And for me, Ghostbusters was the cartoon and Ghostbusters 2. That was Ghostbusters. So like, it's this weird sort of appeal that it has. But I get, not everyone likes it. Not even Bill Murray likes it. I loved the original. This one terrified me. I was aware of the show, but I did not watch it. Oh, I definitely did. And I think I mentioned the last time we watched Ghostbusters about how I also was familiar with the Ghostbusters from Filmation. Let's go Ghostbusters! Filmation, by the way, the ones who made He-Man, which gets heavily referenced in this movie. I was going to just say... <laughs> But yes, you should. Listen, if you wrote this one off a long time ago, watch it again. We loved the first movie. It's so good. Absolutely loved the first movie, but it's not perfect. No. It's it's pretty damn good, though. Mm -hmm. And this one's not going to be perfect either. And maybe just go into it with an open mind again and go back to it, revisit it if you're not already a fan. It's much scarier. It's also a little cheesier. So, like, balance that. Yeah, it's much scarier, but more kid-friendly. Yeah, interestingly. <laughs> you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1989's Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters. It's five years later. Look who's here! A lot of things have changed. Oh, I thought it was going to be He-Man. Grateful little yuppie larva, but when the slime starts to rise, the Titanic just arrived, and ghosts start arriving by the boatload. Who are you gonna call? Second the cuts, guys, with the Ghostbusters. It's slime time. Two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. Bill Murray, I need to feel loved. I need to be desired. Dan Aykroyd. Slime! It's a river of slime. Sigourney Weaver. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. I have all new cheap moves. Harold Ramis. Yo! Rick Moranis. Annie Potts. Typical. And Ernie Hudson. In an Ivan Reitman film, Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> You're scaring me. Stop it. Rated PG. Now playing at theaters everywhere. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Ghostbusters 2 begin? Five years later, we see this ooze coming up. How do up. we know it's five years later, though, Kelsey? Because there's a title card. Yes, there's just the first thing you see, title card, five years later. It was like they knew you'd be watching it back to back right? someday. Later than what? This was five years later, uh, mainly because the guy who took over at, uh, what was it, Columbia, hated Ghostbusters. Why? And because, you know, whenever a new executive takes over, he always hates their past successes. It's just the way it works. They need to make a name for themselves or whatever. And so he just refused to make a sequel to the movie. And then he left. And I don't know why. And then whoever took over for him was like, yeah, let's make a 
fucking Ghostbusters movie. So they did. But they had already come out with the cartoon by this point. So you'll notice a few things change. Like, for instance, Janine's hair. You know, she got a haircut and a dye job. I didn't notice, though. That's to match more closely to the cartoon. That's funny. And bringing Slimer back. Remember what Slimer was in the first movie? Mm-hmm. He had, like, a recurring sort of role, but he, like, wasn't anything. They brought him back for this movie because he was... Like, if they are firefighters in a firehouse, then he's their Dalmatian in the cartoon. (laughs) He is a main character in the cartoon. Really? Yeah, he's like the mascot of the show. So Well, I knew that, yeah, I knew that he flew around a lot on the show. Yeah, he was huge in, like the understanding of what Ghostbusters was for kids, right? So so they had to bring him they up They had in this to bring him back in this one. And they actually scaled him back a little bit than what they were planning on, but still. That was for the best. Yeah, probably. But so this pink slime is coming up through the cracks. And they show us that New York is filled with angry people yelling at each other. Sigourney Weaver, who in the span of five years had... A lengthy relationship with Vankman. Yes. To the point where she wanted to get married and he did not. So she left him married, I don't know, or hooked up with some dude. Married. She got a divorce. Oh, got married and got divorced and had a child. Yeah. He left because he got some stellar job in Europe. And she doesn't begrudge him that. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. But, like, they got divorced. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, whatever happened to Mr. Wright? Anyway, I heard he ditched you and ran off to Europe. He didn't ditch me. We had some problems, and he got a very good job offer from an orchestra in London, and he took it. So he ditched you? I don't know. It's a lot to happen in five years. Uh But her having this baby is very important. Yeah, so she's got this baby in this baby carriage, and it will suddenly come to life and head towards this very specific spot. In the street, which later she will be able to identify and they will drill into. Yes. Even though it's this enormous river Canal underneath. System. Yes, it could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. Yes, uh-huh. But it's specifically in this spot for some reason. But she's able to get to the baby just in time. It like, But it like, specifically, it doesn't really try to get hit. Yeah, no, it's like it's trying to carry the baby away. Yes. Not kill the baby. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, everybody wants Sigourney Weaver in some capacity, whether it's her or her baby. Yeah. I'd like to run some gynecological tests on the mother. Who wouldn't? And cue the music, because (laughs) who doesn't love this song? Am I right, guys? Yeah, totally. I hope you're playing it. (laughs) Winston and Ray are the only two Ghostbusters left. And they are reduced to doing children's birthday parties. Because there are no calls anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because all the kids are upset they would rather have had He-Man. Oh, I thought it was going to be He-Man. And then this kid comes up to them and says, you know, my dad says you guys are full of crap. You know, my dad says you guys are full of crap. Jason. Well, some people have trouble believing in the paranormal. No, he just says you guys are full of crap and that's why you went out of business. His dad, Ivan Reitman, the director of the movies, because this is Jason Reitman, the director of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. mm -hmm. 
It's really funny. And Winston is very degraded by all of this. Oh, yeah. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, he says a year from now, no one is even going to remember who we are. Meanwhile, Spangler is running very unethical experiments on people. Yes, very unethical experiments on people. To see if their emotions uh, affect. Have you seen that episode of Community? Yeah. <laughs> Where Troy and Abed are being tested by uh, Annie. Annie! What is going on in there? I wasted all day caring for you. The Soul Train Awards were tonight. You promised butch to. <laughs> <laughs> And he's out. We got him. So in the last movie, it was Venkman who was doing unethical experiments. Yes. Now it's Stangler. But I guess that shouldn't surprise us, considering he was kind of unethical with Rick Moranis when he turned into... Oh, yeah. Gatemaster. <laughs> well, master. he was possessed. Keymaster, gatekeeper. He's the, he's the keymaster. He's the keymaster. You just got to remember, there's a, there's a male end and there's a female end. Yes. I am the keymaster. I am the gatekeeper. The reason that we're introduced to Spangler next is because Sigourney Weaver goes to see him and explain what happened. And she's like, can you guys look into this? And he's like, well, everybody's disbanded. So I guess this is after that birthday party happened. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I could call Ray. And she's like, okay, well, call Ray, but don't call Vankman. And you might be like, what the fuck about Winston? And yeah, yeah. What the fuck about Winston? <laughs> what the fuck about Winston? He is upgraded in this movie, but he's still the fourth Ghostbuster. Yes, unfortunately. They, they try to make up for that, I think, in Afterlife. I guess, by making him, anyway. Super rich? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. What did he get rich in? Did, I, I don't what remember said. what they said. We just watched it. Yeah. Vankman is hosting a show called The World of the Psychic, and this is pretty funny. Yeah. He has these two different people on who are predicting the end of the world, and one of them is the guy from, what do we know him from? That's Kevin Dunn. He's the dad in the Transformers movies, you know, Wit Wiki. <laughs> yes. And he suggests that the world is going to end on New Year's Eve, and, and Vankman is like, whoa, how are you planning to make any money off of this? Yeah, off your book. If it's going to be over in less than six months or whatever is is pretty funny. And he gets all upset about it. But the girl says it's going to end. <laughs> February 14th. 2016. Valentine's Day. Bummer. Yes, and she was told by an alien. Yes, it was just a guy who I guess slipped her a Mickey? Oh, God, I don't know, but it was at a Holiday Inn yeah, bar. uh-huh. She met a guy oh, at God, a bar. I never thought then, about it yeah. that way. Jesus. Uh-huh. And at the end of the show, he's like, next week, hairless pets. Weird. <laughs> great delivery. Yes. And he's very upset with his guy, because he's like, why are you giving me these bullshit stories? And they're, and they're like, well, because everybody thinks you're a fake. And he's like, I am a fake. <laughs> I forget why, but he, like, runs into the mayor at some point, and he has a new guy. So before, it was the environmental guy. 
This time, it's just a guy that wants to protect the mayor's image. This is Hardemeyer, played by Kurt Fuller, who's been in a lot of things. He's a character actor. You know him. Bill Murray suggests that they never got paid. Yeah, because they ended up getting sued by every state and county and municipal whatever for all the damage they caused. After all we did for this city? Yeah. We conjured up a hundred foot marshmallow man through the top three floors off an uptown high rise, ended up getting sued by every state, county, and city agency in New York. Well, that's why I wanted to talk to His Highness. See, we did a little job for the city a while back, and we got stiffed on the bill by some bureaucratic bookworm like yourself. And so they never got paid, yeah. Even though they There was no contract. Everybody. Just the lawyers got involved, and why? If they didn't have to pay them, why would they? How do they know that they're not actually involved or whatever, you know? I guess. But so this is when, after that, we meet Janish finally, the scariest character of the film Janos yeah even scarier than Vigo this is Peter McNichol or as I constantly refer to him the guy from Ally McBeal <laughs> yes that's where you know him from yes he's really creepy even in the beginning oh he, he's so good he really wants Sigourney Weaver but not in the sweet innocent way that Rick Moranis did yeah he wants her in a very creepy way right in so far that he's willing to make a deal with the devil to get her right but you do also have to consider that he didn't seek out the devil the devil or you know a great power was presented before him and he realized, holy shit, this shit's real and oh my god he's got tons of powers yeah sure I'll do whatever you want and yes <laughs> He was a real sleazeball about it. But I'm just saying, it's not like his sleazeball desire for her is what made him just completely clear of mind decide he wanted to side with some god. He's siding with a mystical prince magician from apparently his home country. He's supposed to be Carpathian. He also slightly, like, kind of possesses him, but also kind of not. It's not very clear. It's like he gives him his power. I guess, but... Hypnotizes well, him a little bit. What I mean is, when he first tells him, okay, go get me a child, he's like, huh? A child? And then this, like, lightning bolt uh -huh. goes from his eyes to his eyes, and he's like, a child, yes. Mm -hmm. So it's like he's kind of yes. possessed? Yes, something's going on there. But then later, he'll, he'll be like, let me have the lady. Yeah. Which, that's not Vigo. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. I don't think he's possessed. I think he's just imbued with some power and knowledge or whatever. Later, he's going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> but so he wants Sigourney Weaver. I guess because she had her kid, she didn't have enough time to be in the orchestra anymore. So she took up a side job of restoring paintings? Yeah, she just happens to be a paint restorer, a, a portrait restorer. As well as an orchestra, like... Working for the museum life. or whatever under Janosch. What a life. Ray runs his own occult bookstore in this one. Yeah. And he will run that in the new one as well. Yeah. Which I liked that touch. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the bullshit him being a taxi driver who doesn't believe right. in no ghosts. Uh-huh. Look, I don't go to Chinatown. I don't drive wackos. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. So Bill Murray shows up to pick up some books. And Ray and Spangler are talking about Sigourney Weaver, and 
because they're not supposed to tell him about it, they clam up when he comes inside. So Vankman pulls on Ray's ears until he says that it's Dana that they're helping. Yeah. While here at the bookstore, this is Peter seeing Egon after a long break. He's seen Ray. He ordered some books from Ray. So he's showing up to pick up the books and he sees Egon and he asks him, how's school? I bet those science chicks really dig that large cranium of yours. How's school? Bet those science chicks really dig that large cranium of yours, huh? I think they're more interested in my epididymis. <laughs> Your epididymis is what carries your sperm from your testicles to your vast deference. So like, it's a sex joke. Yes. <laughs> but using a big word that kids won't recognize. I always assumed it was a sex joke. <laughs> I thought it meant penis in some capacity. <laughs> close, close enough. So back at Dana's house, Spangler is going to do all kinds of tests on baby Oscar. Ray asks him, have you ever done this before? And he goes, on a chimp. <laughs> Peter is asking Sigourney Weaver, you know, why on earth didn't we end up together? And she's like, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't marry me. And, you know, there's some funny lines here. I am a man. Like, I want to be needed and desired or whatever it is he wants to say. And she says, I left when you started introducing me as the old ball and chain. Yeah. You know, you'd have been better off marrying me. You never asked me. And whenever I brought it up, you'd get drowsy and fall asleep. You never got it, Dana. I'm a man. I'm sensitive. I need to feel loved. I need to be desired. It was when you started introducing me as the old ball and chain. That's when I left. And there's a, some other funny lines. Spangler is looking around and he's just like, my parents didn't believe in toys. <laughs> didn't even have a slinky. We had half of one. And then I straightened it. <laughs> <laughs> So that evening, they're going to dig into the streets of New York to find out what it is that's yeah. causing all of this. To the exact point that the baby carriage stopped. Yes. And it's kind of funny. They're all doing this and the cops show up. And, of course, it's just Egon by himself. Yeah. <laughs> And he, like, is looking for Peter, because Peter is the one who can talk. Uh-huh. So he gets Peter over there, and Peter pretends to be this downtown kind of guy, and uh -huh. so does Ray. But when they turn to Egon, he just says, yo. Yo. <laughs> hey, take it. He's been working overtime. I tell you why we're here. We're here because some diaper back downtown is being a jerk. I'm making this work on a Friday night. Am I right, Peter? Of course you're right, Raymond. Is he right, Ziggy? Yo. <laughs> in the trailer, which is which audiences will have already heard by this point, they're listing off all the stars, and when they get to Harold Ramis, it's just Harold Ramis, yo. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's so pretty good. great. So the cops leave because Peter tells them this story about how he's got his stuff to do. So they go to find out if that's true. At the same time, over at the gallery, Janusz is spoken to by Vigo for the first time. Yeah. Listen to me. What? Who? I, Vigo, the scourge of Carpathia, the sorrow of Moldavia, command you. Oh, command me, Lord. On a mountain of skulls in the castle of pain, I sat on a throne of blood. 
What was will be, what is will be no more. Now is the season of evil. Evil? And he's like, now is the season of evil. So whose voice is it? That's Max von Sydow. And how do we know that name? He's the exorcist from The Exorcist. Oh, that makes sense. It does sound like him. Mm-hmm. And they did that just because you couldn't understand the other guy? I don't know. I've never heard him speak before. He doesn't speak in Die Hard? I don't think so. Or if he does, it's a minor line. Okay. He's a he's a very minor villain character. Named like James or something. But so this is when he kind of gets a little bit possessed. Yeah, he gets a taste of Vigo's power to prove that he's powerful and to get Janos greedy. And, you know, maybe Janos can do things now. Maybe he knows things he wouldn't know otherwise. Other such abilities. But back on the streets, they have lowered Ray into this big chasm. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, guys, if you're wondering where is Winston, yeah, we're all wondering that, too. Like, come on. Yeah, because at this point... Find a reason for them to have him there. I mean, logically, it it would have required them to reach out to him. This is not necessarily a Ghostbusters thing. It was a thing that Egon was doing for Dana, just a personal favor. He brought in Ray, and then Peter inserted himself. So this wasn't like an official capacity thing, but yes, the end result is that Winston gets left out once again. Mm-hmm. But so they've lowered him down, and he finds the old pneumatic transit. Do you know what that means? Yes, actually I do. Uh, in the middle of the second half of the 17th century... So, like, 1870s or so, right? There was a pneumatic transit system that was tested in New York. It was very beautiful, kind of like they they show it is. And it's basically just using compressed air to shuttle vehicles through these tubes under the city. When they built the subway system that we know today in the early 1900s, they found this tunnel again. And they're like, oh, shit, there's an old pneumatic tunnel they were trying to build. And then they tore it down to make way for the actual subway. <laughs> so nothing like this actually exists under New York right now. But it was at one point built and tested. Why didn't it work? I don't know that it necessarily didn't function, but they built it to test it and they didn't have any city approval or authorization. And so the city just shut it down a couple years into the project. Okay. Yeah. All right, then. Uh-huh. But he sees this giant pink river of slime. At the same time, the cops come back with some construction worker. And he's like, this is a bunch of bullshit. There's no, there's nothing uh-huh. you're supposed to be doing here. And there's a couple of funny lines. Uh, Bill Murray, like, where do you think all this stuff is coming from? The sky? <laughs> that is kind of funny. But the pink slime starts to come to life and it starts to come after Ray. And he keeps saying, you know, pull me up, pull me up. And eventually they do, but something happens and they end up cutting all the power Which from New York. Which is not how that would work. It was one really bad pipe with some wires in it. Obviously, they are running electricity through Oh, because he ground. accidentally kicks it on his way up or exactly. something. Exactly. But not all of Manhattan's power is running through one single line. Like, it just doesn't operate like that. 
Well, at the same time, Yonish shows up at Sigourney Weaver's house. And he's like, hey, I just wanted to check in on you and your baby. With this power outage going on, did you want me to come in? And she's like, no, thank you. Again, I love Sigourney <laughs> Weaver being this boss-ass bitch who doesn't uh -huh. need to be nice. Yeah. Just, no, I don't need you to come inside my house. Thanks, bye. Oh, my God. When he leaves, he has these spotlight eyes. That's such a cool effect. Terrified me as a child. Because the actual spotlight eyes were, like, done in post, but it is casting real light on the walls when he looks left to right and it's just really cool it's, what a great effect it scared me when i was a child uh-huh okay now we get a, a pretty long scene here coming up uh because they're they got arrested of course they did so they get put on trial which is of course not how our system works no that's like the next day it would and, take yeah, at least uh -huh. several months before hey they winston up shows there. up though at their trial to support them. And then disappears. Yeah. He like, talks to them and then he leaves. Uh, yeah, Because there was going to be something very specifically Ghostbusters related coming up here and he is not present. Yes. Now, why do they have their proton packs? Because they didn't have their proton packs on them when they were there, did they? They had them in their vehicle or whatever. They uh, were okay. impounded, you know. They were presented as evidence to suggest that they were in fact... Still doing Ghostbusters business when there was an injunction against them to prevent them from doing that. So this is where we finally get to see Rick Moranis again. Yes, he's their lawyer. He's their lawyer, even though he does taxes. So good. So good. I really miss Rick Moranis. I love Rick Moranis. And he gives an incredible opening line. <laughs> and the judge's look of just like shock and disbelief is excellent. <laughs> When they talk to the construction worker, he's like, I've never seen this pink stuff in my life, and I've been working this place for, like, 20 years, so if this stuff is here, they must have put it there. Uh-huh. And, of course, Ray is like, no, we didn't, which causes the judge to angrily yell, shut up, which is where they all notice that the pink slime is reacting to his anger. Yeah, this judge keeps getting angrier and angrier. He starts out the entire trial saying, I don't want to hear any bullshit about ghosts. And it's like, how are we going to have this conversation without talking about ghosts? And if you are ha getting some Pleasantville vibes, yes. Yes, they absolutely stole this scene. It is the judge's anger that causes them all to come in, for him to come into color. Yeah, uh-huh. And to say, we can't talk about color. Well, then how are we going to have this conversation? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. So, yes, he's getting angrier and angrier. He's fueling the ooze, and the ooze is fueling him back in return until when he finds them guilty and he's going to sentence them and he's going on and on about how if he had the ability, if we were back in the good old days, if I still had the authority to hang you, I would. And he's getting angrier and angrier until suddenly... Find you guilty on all charges. Or you pay fines in the amount of $25,000 each. We sent you to 18 months in the city correctional facility at Rikers Island. Edie, she's twitching. I'm not finished! On a more personal note, let me just go on record as saying that there's no place for fake charlatans. Uh, Your Honor? Shut up! Fixers like you in decent society. Your Honor, this is important. You play on the gullibility of innocent people. Yes, sir. Be quiet. But... My hands were tied by the unalterable fetters of the law, and I would invoke the tradition of our illustrious forebears. Reach back to a pure eternity. 
these two ghosts strapped to electric chairs. The Scolari brothers. The Scolari brothers come shooting out of the ooze. I gave them the chair for murder. Yes. So everyone's losing their mind. The judge gets attacked and hides with them. Do something about it. Why don't you just tell them you don't believe in ghosts? Yes, it's so, so good. So satisfying. It's like, you got to talk to our lawyer. And Moranis is like, yeah, they have an injunction against them. Yeah, he doesn't even know the words. <laughs> you got to do something. Help me. Don't talk to me. Talk to my attorney. That's me. My guys are still under a judicial estrangement order. That blue thing I got from her. They could be exposing themselves. And you don't want us exposing ourselves. <laughs> and so he says, you're dropped of all charges. Yes, yeah, so he lets them go. Meanwhile, the prosecuting attorney gets carried out through the doors, which is, again, a really fucking killer effect because the doors open and she flies right through them. It's really cool. Anyway. These are the characters that I think the new one, not the one that we're about to talk about, but 2016, didn't they have, like, kind of those characters, like, show up? Maybe. They were like... Do you know how much of that movie I have erased from my brain? <laughs> I think they were, like, prison inmates or whatever, and it was kind of the sim- it was a throwback to yeah, this. Yeah, uh-huh. Throwbacks are much better in Afterlife if they're a little too heavy-handed. So they get on their proton packs, and of course, Peter says, I've always hated this part of the business because famously he They're hates so heavy. how yeah. heavy they uh-huh. are. Which, of course, later when Rick Moranis puts one on, he's going to say, oh, God, these are really heavy. There's a line in Afterlife to it as well. There's also something that is just quintessentially Ghostbusters, and it is in this movie. When they power on their packs. Heat them up. And then he just gives them that look, which is so just (laughs) God. Aren't I a little stinker? You know, like that look. (laughs) Yeah, because uh, it's almost like Peter's mad that he didn't think of it first. (laughs) I love it. You get the little sort of half-joke introduction to that because Ray says Ray. <laughs> yeah, because Ray's excited because he doesn't have to do any thinking. He just gets the joke, uh-huh. you know, Ray. And then Egon says his, and it's great. So good. But what's not so great is their little rhyme that they do afterwards. Two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. Wow. So I'm oh, like, yeah. when did that start up? They didn't do that before. We be fast and they be slow. But they're totally jazzed about being Ghostbusters again. Yeah, and then it gets a little silly. They have, like, covert operations to get ghosts and stuff. It's kind of silly. But yeah, so the- this is a montage that we get that Kelsey's talking about. Two, Ghostbusters by Run DMC. Well, that's who you call There's a yeah, new version know. of the song. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> there's but, a lot of custom music in this movie. But of course, there's the line, yes, we're back, which I'm sure is in the trailer, right? Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> a Janine. 
Oh, it's Janine that says yeah. it? Yeah, she's on the phone. Uh, so Janine gets rehired again. So we get her and her red hair. Love Janine. Yes. Uh, they also get new darker gray-blue sort of jumpsuits. They're like this really dark gray, which honestly, I kind of love. And they ditch them almost immediately. Apparently, that was part of the production design for this movie is they designed new suits. And then Ivan Reitman was like, nope, don't like them, and went back to the tan ones. I mean... They look better. I'm sure they show your, like, sweat and shit less. You know, they they don't show as much dirt on them like the tan ones do. They got a cool style, and we get them in, like, one or two scenes in this movie, which is a bummer. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Yeah. But yeah, ghosts are back. The Ghostbusters are back, too. So, at some point, all four of them are together, and Egon and Ray show Winston and Peter... That they have found that the slime reacts to feelings and emotions, which yes. I feel like they already explained to us in the trial scene, yeah, but uh -huh. whatever. It also reacts to positive emotions as well. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's what we learn here is that it also responds to positivity. And? It likes to dance. It can animate inanimate objects. So they put some in a toaster, which again, classic toaster, which we see in Afterlife. Like, it's iconic, and it's in Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> and it dances to uh, Higher and Higher by Jackie Wilson. Your love Such a, like, come on. Than I've ever been lifted before. Yes, so good. So keep it up. It's so good. Such a good song. Peter is going to go see Sigourney Weaver. And uh, I guess, like, I think maybe he's in the elevator or something. This guy's like, oh, hey, Peter Vankman, I'm a huge fan of yours. Yours is my, you're my second favorite show. And he's like, oh, what's your other favorite show? Bassmasters. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so he goes up to meet Sigourney Weaver at her job. And there's Janusz. And he meets him. And there's this terrible handshake moment. Uh -huh. Always ah, hate those handshake moments. But he sees Vigo, and we get to find out that he is this powerful magician, but according to Sigourney Weaver, he's also a genocidal madman. Yes. And she tells Peter, every now and then I get the feeling that the painting is looking at me. And when they turn and look at it, they notice that Janish is speaking to it, yeah. which is very strange behavior. Mm -hmm. And that evening, Sigourney Weaver will, will go to take a bath with her son, and the pink sludge will come into the tub, which is a scene I remember, but uh -huh. I don't remember it looking so cheesy. And it, it does look pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I don't remember it looking like the that. The compositing in this movie can be not great. Mm -hmm. uh, but it brings the tub to life effectively, and the ooze reaches out to grab her, and she runs away and goes to Peter. 
I apparently thought something was really funny here about uh, the atomic weight, but I don't know what that was. Oh, uh, the ato- is the atomic weight of cobalt something, something, something. You think there's a connection between this Vigo character and the... Slime? The atomic weight of cobalt, 58.9. You better get over to Dana's apartment. You know, like, does the Pope shit in the woods? Like, one of those sort of jokes. But so, when she goes to Peter's place, he's discovered, he thinks has something to do with Vigo. So, they go back to her place of business, the Ghostbusters do, and Peter's basically kind of, like, taunting him. Almost yeah. like he thinks it's alive, which I don't know uh-huh. why he... I guess, I don't know, I forget how he figured out that they're all connected. He's just having fun. Well, they look him up. And they find out that, like, they pulled a Rasputin where they, like, poisoned him and shot him and drawn and quartered him and all of that stuff. Yeah, but because he did all these terrible things to people. Yes. And so his last words were, death is but a door, time is but a window, I'll be back. Vigo the Carpathian, born 1505, died 1610. 105 years old. He hung in there, didn't he? He didn't die of old age either. He was poisoned, stabbed, shot, hung, stretched, disemboweled, drawn and quartered. And dig this, there was a prophecy. Just before his head died, his last words were, death is but a door, time is but a window, I'll be back. As he taunts him, I don't know if Peter's supposed to notice, but his eyes kind of turn red. There's a good line, though, after he's finished, he's been, like, taking pictures. And after he's finished, he says, I've worked with better, but not many. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's Vigo. Mr. Vigo! Uh, Vigs. Please. Would you look this way, please. No, don't. No. Hey, no. Show me no. Give me angry. Will you, will you give me angry? You've had a bad day. You're cranky? Yeah, thank you. Good. Good. Ooh, angrier. Ooh. I'm scared. You're scaring me. Stop it. Yeah. Good. That's it. More. Yeah, come on. You're big. You're big. All right, destroy me. Destroy me now. Yeah. Destroy me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Give it. Give it. Thank yeah. You. We need to talk. I've worked with better, but not many. Thank you. And Ray, meanwhile, is entranced by whatever vibes Vigo in the painting is giving off. Yes. And it makes him, like, stand sideways and, like, his tongue's hanging out. It's Winston who has to pull him back into reality. Hey, man, you done? Peter convinces Sigourney Weaver to go out on a date with him. And the way that he convinces her is he's like, I got a babysitter for you. And she's like, I'm not going to let some strange person babysit. And he's like, Janine is not a strange person. She's like, Janine has experience (laughs) babysitting. She Um, very obviously does not. No, she does not. She gives French bread pizza to the kid. (laughs) An eight month old. Yeah. Remember, oh, we haven't been mentioning that it's all very Christmassy at this time, but they're not really talking about it. It's more important because it's going to end on New Year's. Yeah. But so that evening, she's walking to Peter's place to babysit, and she's locking up the Ghostbusters place. And Rick Moranis shows up, and he's talking to her, and she asks him, hey, do you want to babysit with me? And he says, okay. And she's like, great, be at his place at eight. And he's like, okay, I can get his address from his W2. (laughs) I think is illegal. (laughs) Yeah, it's so, man, that's hilarious. (laughs) And we see that Egon and Ray are hard at work looking at the pictures that Peter took of Vigo. And they decide that they're going to order pizza. 
And they decide to order a Chicago-style pizza. And I'm like, these are New Yorkers. There's no way they would get a Chicago-style pizza. Yes, but Dan Aykroyd, he's Canadian, but I think he lived in Chicago. I don't like deep crust. I like thin crust myself. Yes, because I think we talked about this in the Ghostbusters issue. I think it was Bill Murray who lived in Chicago and was at, like, what is it, Second City or the Groundlings or whatever group it was. And... Aykroyd was, he was from Canada. in Canada. Yeah, I said he was in Canada, but with the same group. So they would come down to Chicago and collaborate or whatever. And then I think it was Bill Murray who showed Dan Aykroyd like around town or whatever, and they became friends that way. And that's how they first met. Yes. So maybe that's a reference. But yeah, they they have a strong connection to Chicago. The actors do. But as they're doing this, the pictures all light on fire. Yeah. And Winston has to save them. Yes. Yes, Winston <laughs> does. Because they get locked inside as well. So they decide to go down into the pneumatic transit to check out this pink slime. And the only reason Peter doesn't go is because he's going on a date with Dana. As they're walking towards this pink slime... This is where my memories get really strong of this movie. Uh-huh. This is the stuff I remember. And oh my god, these heads on spikes really scared me as a kid. The train coming towards Winston is great. I love when right after Winston gets hit with this ghost train, they ask him something or, you know, did you get the number on it? And he's like, "Sorry, I missed it." <laughs> and they think it was like a a train that derailed in 1920 or yeah. something. And so Egon is like, something's trying to stop us, so we must be close. But for some reason, they went down there without their packs, and I thought that was very strange. Yeah. And they realized that it must have fed off of the negative energy of New York. And they're like, wow, can you imagine how much there had to be? And Winston's like, New York, what a town. Yeah, we're in the late 80s by this point, and for a while now... That's what New York was, was... Dirty, mean, and gross. Yes, and they're going through this transitional phase where New York gets all cleaned up. Yes. So there is still this sort of general feeling that New York is a shitty place where everyone's mean to each other. Mm-hmm. But Winston gets pulled down into the slime, so... Ray and Egon jump in after Which I him. thought was really cool. They just kind of look at each other and then jump right in. Yeah. It's, like, they don't even question it. We got to save really, our buddy. It is great, but they don't bother to tell you at all how they got out of yeah, it. Yeah, they end up climbing out covered in the slime and yelling at each other. And Ray and Winston are going to get into a fight. And Egon has to stop them because he's, I think, the least covered or he had already taken off his stuff. And he tells them, ah, take off your uniforms. Nice going, Ray. Ah. What are you trying to do, drown me? Oh, yeah, I said it more like it was my fault. That you were too stupid not to drop that plot line. Stupid? Hey, you better watch your mouth. I'll punch your lights up. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, any time. Come on. Right. Come on. Right now. It's go time, man. Right I want you bad. Grab me. Grab me. Wait. Wait. Stop. Stop. Get your This is when they realize it's concentrated evil. Yes. Pure concentrated evil, they call it. Oh, dear. Ray. What are we doing? I was ready to kill you. It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. And it's all flowing right to this spot. And they have to run to where Dana and Peter are having dinner. Having their date. And meanwhile, Rick Moranis and Janine are 
starting to flirt and uh-huh. like each other a lot on really this cute. babysitting date. Yeah. You're very good with children. <laughs> Something about, I had a roommate, but my mom moved to Florida. <laughs> Something about, I want to have a child tonight. <laughs> very good with children. Thanks, I practiced on my hamster. Uh-huh. So you live alone? I used to have a roommate, but my mom moved to Florida. Why don't you come over here and sit with me? Okay. So you want to play Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? You know, I think motherhood's a very natural instinct. I like a child myself. Would you? Tonight? It was fun. It's a fun conversation. But so, yes, uh, Ray and Egon and Winston go and get Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray to leave their dinner date. And when they get back... That's when Sigourney catches Rick Moranis and Janine making out on so her couch. This is where all four Ghostbusters are going to see the mayor. We get on our own, performed by Bobby Brown, who is a doorman at the mayor's building and asks if he can have a proton pack. And Egon says that the proton pack isn't a toy. And Ray gives this really weird reaction of... I guess he's right. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, come on. But that, yeah, that is Bobby Brown doing a cameo, and it's uh, on our own, which is, I guess we're gonna have to take control. That one, which is also an iconic part of this movie. They had tons of music commissioned for this movie. They couldn't even keep track of it. Mm-hmm. But so they go and tell the mayor, and I don't understand why the mayor doesn't believe them. I think that's an odd thing for him to do, considering what happened last time. Yeah. But, I mean, everyone's been complacent. It's been five years since anything happened. Well, I love his response of, you know, what do you want me to do? Tell people to be nice to each other? Yeah. It's every New Yorker's (laughs) God-given right to be an asshole. Uh Uh-huh. What am I supposed to do? Go on television and tell 10 million people they have to be nice to each other? Being miserable and treating other people like dirt is every New Yorker's God-given right. The guy who works for him, unbeknownst to the mayor, has him committed. Has all four of them committed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Hardemeyer. That is when Yanish will get confirmation from Vigo that he can have Sigourney Weaver. She will be wife to you and mother to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he wants to be a baby. Why not be a grown man? Yeah, I guess maybe babies are more conducive to transferring your whole being into because mm. they don't have their own lived experiences yet. That'd be my guess. Well, cue the most terrifying scene for me as a child. Janos. <laughs> he will show up to steal the baby dressed as a nanny. First and- the baby has climbed out onto the ledge and is just standing there and they're freaking out and trying to get Oscar back in. And yes, Janos the nanny shows up. And he has these red eyes and it's really, really frightening. He's wearing this wig and a hat and pushing this pram because it looks very British. (laughs) Yes. Almost like you'd think of Mary Poppins. Right. Like a... Like an au pair. Like an old au pair. But somehow she knew it was Yanish. I don't know how you could tell. I I don't know. But he is sort of like grayscale and flying. Yes. (laughs) With this terrifying smile. He reminds me a lot of... The bad guy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, he gives you those vibes? Yes. Yeah, the judge. But So she's like, we've got to go get my baby. Well, where are you going? I've got to get my baby. we got to 
find the guys. Sigourney Weaver will go immediately to the gallery, and she's just like, you bastard, but there's really nothing she can do, I guess. Well, she doesn't know where else to go. She goes straight to where she thinks Janosh is, but like, right. But, like, I don't understand why she doesn't just grab him. I don't know. It's... She ends up getting taken as well, so now they're both kidnapped. Not, but she's not really kidnapped. She's just kind of there. Right, but he's holding her. They end up locking her up. Do they? Yeah, and he has to let her out after she agrees that she will be his wife. Oh. That she can deal with that if that means she gets to keep Oscar. Mm. You know? So that's happening. Meanwhile, the Ghostbusters are being psychoanalyzed. We get another montage of this evil taking over the yeah. city. This is Flip City. And I absolutely remember this scene very, very well. The minks coming to life. Yes, the mink coat. All the little minks. Like, yeah, like you have all of them. They come to life and start attacking the woman, which I think we talked about in the last one was supposed to be in the first movie. <laughs> I definitely remember that. I remember the Titanic showing up. I never quite understood why Cheech Marin is there to comment on this, but he is. Better late than never. This is one of those things that people talk about when they talk about Ghostbusters 2, is that one of the rescue ships from the Titanic was the Carpathia, and Vigo is Carpathian. Ah, that's when, of course, the mayor's like, where are the Ghostbusters? And he's like, well, I had them committed. And he's like, you're fired. Get me the Ghostbusters. Yeah, just immediate vindication because the story isn't really about them. I know it always pisses me off when they make the whole story about the EPA, at, you know, in the first one. So it's like, yeah, let's just, we're, we're over that. They're, it's a speed bump in the road of the larger story, right? Mm-hmm. So let's move on. So they end up getting released and Lewis shows up and gets them out. Because the mayor said it's okay. Yeah, and they got to go take on Vigo now, who has covered the museum in more slime. And all these ghosts are terrorizing New York City again. Everyone I know has gone for the city. She used to want me. How can it be now? She's gone for the city. And so when they first go, there's this big pink like slime wall and they can't get it with their proton packs and everybody boos them. So they're like, well, let's use music to bring something to life. And they decide on the Statue of Liberty. She's a lot bigger than a toaster. And they do it with your love keeps lifting me higher. Yep. Okay, so... I hate this version, though, and I don't know why they did that, because earlier they did the right version. This is probably the biggest complaint I have about this movie, and yes, they kind of did it in the original, where, like, New York rallies behind the Ghostbusters and all of that, but, like, winning the goodwill of the city as focused via the symbol that is the Statue of Liberty, but having it actually physically present and moving, admittedly, is... Pretty damn dumb. It's cheesy as hell. But I do contend that seeing the Statue of Liberty walk through the streets of Manhattan is pretty dope. I think it's cool. <laughs> yes, that's and what I'm, I'm saying. I, I don't mind how silly it is because Ghostbusters is supposed to be fun. Yeah, and it, and it is. It's very, very cheesy and sappy. But it's fun. But it is fun. And yes. lighthearted and, and jovial. When this movie came out, I got really, really excited because they control the Statue of Liberty, even though this doesn't make any sense. How would they control it with this? How would that process work? 
but they control it with an NES Advantage, which is a joystick for the NES that I had as a child. It was very, very popular. But when I saw that in a movie, I was like, holy, I have one of those. It's in my room right now. <laughs> I was very excited about that. This is when Rick Moranis will put on the suit and put on the proton pack and make out with Janine. It's Spangler's jumpsuit, too, by the way. Oh. Because she had the hots for Egon. Mm-hmm. And she puts Lewis in Egon's jumpsuit. And Egon apparently was doing it with somebody else at this point. We're not really sure who or why. Yeah. But it's it's funny when they're walking around in the Statue of Liberty. There's some good lines. She's tough. She's a harbor chick. There's a weird joke about the San Fernando Valley being beautiful. Well, yes, because he makes fun of Vigo. He's like, you're going to come back after all these years and you come back to New York? Only a Carpathian would come back to life now and choose New York. Tasty pick, bonehead. If you had brain one in that huge melon on top of your neck, you would be living the sweet life out in Southern California's beautiful San Fernando Valley. At the time, the term Valley Girl is talking about the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. And this is when Vigo is trying to take over the baby's body, Oscar's body, right at like midnight or whatever. But he is killed by the goodwill of New York because they see the Statue of Liberty, and they hear the song, and they feel good, and they're singing Auld Lang Syne, and it's mm-hmm. just like Fahu Dore's at the end <laughs> of The Grinch. <laughs> and the positivity overwhelms, and his evil is broken. <laughs> Not before he goes back into the painting. We get another portal moment, just like in the first one, right? He goes back into the painting. Ray checks on it, and then Ray turns around, and Ray is possessed. Yes. He's got this weird face thing. Ray gets taken over, and they have to hit him. Oh, yeah, they're hitting everything with their proton packs, but everything is, like, it's positive positively now. charged. Yes, it's yes. positively charged somehow. <laughs> and that causes him to be, like, him and Yanish, they get hit with it, and they're all like, yeah, I love you, man, yeah. I love you. It's really cute. I love you guys. I love all you guys. Wait, wait. Okay. And I love Venkman. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, wow. You really gotta live with this? Real friendship. Yeah. Sir? Uh, uh, Are you yeah. alright? Uh, <laughs> why are my drippings with goo? You had a violent, prolonged, transformative psychic episode. Sorry we had to hose you there, but you were kind of out of control. Hey, man, let me tell you something. I love you. Yes? Yeah. Well, I love you, too. (laughs) Right. Wow. There's a really stupid painting. Oh my god, yes. So the painting. I don't know where that's supposed to have come from. Is that Vigo's painting? That is Vigo's painting. So their painting took over his? Like the slime that they were shooting at it and the positivity turned it into this sort of weird. It's funny and cute, but it's stupid as hell. It's so dumb. And that's like how the movie is punctuated at the end. Yeah. And Dana's not even in it. But Oscar is. Yes. It's weird. Yes. But yes, it's a happy ending. 
everything is better. Even Rick Moranis gets to think that he had something to do with it because he hits it like right at the time when they do. So the pink slime wall is destroyed. So everybody out there cheers for him, uh-huh. <laughs> even though he didn't actually do anything. But he was brave, goddammit. Yes. So it's a happy ending and course they're back together yep everything's great but they just stopped the thing that's causing all the ghosts so they basically put themselves out of business again and afterlife will address that every single time there is a movie in the ghostbusters franchise there are all these ghosts they get a job they defeat the ultimate evil but the ultimate evil is what's causing all the ghosts to to rise up again in the first place and so then they're putting themselves out of a job it's just like in willy wonka when he builds the everlasting gobstopper (laughs) you're putting yourself out of business but also it's funny because we see that the statue of liberty has fallen and then at the end she's up again you're like okay yeah they don't explain how they accomplished that that quickly Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of fun, and it's a good time, and I recommend that you watch it. Bill Murray complains that the special effects took over the movie, and that it didn't focus enough on the Ghostbusters themselves. It's much scarier. Uh-huh. And yet more kid-friendly. There's no sexy time in this movie. Right. Even though there's a few hidden sex jokes, but they're very, very obtuse, right? He also said that... Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd's script is what he signed on for. And then when they showed up and started filming, he's like, wait a minute, this isn't what I agreed to because they made a bunch of changes. And so he's like, well, I guess we just got to do this. So he was not enthused about this movie at all. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, I understand if something changed so drastically that it becomes a terrible movie. This is not a terrible movie. This is actually really, really good. And as a five-year-later follow-on from the original, I honestly don't see how they could have improved it very much. Mm-hmm. We agree. Yeah. So, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? What does the first one have? So, the first one had a 97 when we reviewed it. We both gave it a 95. The 2016 remake had a 74. You gave it a 45 and I gave it a 55. Then I will guess that this has a 76. 53. Wow. Thanks to the cast, Ghostbusters 2 is reasonably amusing, but it lacks the charm, wit, and energy of its predecessor. I disagree. Yep. Every single one of these Ghostbusters dances at some point. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? It lacks the energy of the first one. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Metacritic of 56, but a cinema score, which like Rotten Tomatoes 53, Metacritic 56, cinema score, A minus. Woohoo! That's what I like to hear. Everyone, I feel like it just has to be that everyone was so wrapped up in how it wasn't just the first one all over again Mm -hmm. that they shit all over it or something because the people that watched the movie evidently really liked it. Mm -hmm. So, like, what's the problem here? That's generally how I feel. I don't see what the big problem is about this movie. It's cheesier. It's more kid-friendly. But that's what Ghostbusters was five years later. And I was a kid at the time. So go fuck yourself. If you're an adult and you don't think Ghostbusters is for kids, go fuck yourself. I'm going to give it an 84. I was going to say 85. Yeah. Like, I think object, as objective as you can be about this, obviously it's not an objective assessment purely, but if you're going to give it some sort of uh, objective comparison, the first movie is like a better all around film. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but this is really fucking good. <laughs> so yeah, 84 and 85 from the two of us. Definitely underrated, I must say. Mm-hmm. And that is our classic film, 1989's Ghostbusters 2. Moving on to our modern film, the follow-on sequel from this, even though you don't need to have seen this one in order to understand what's going on in Afterlife. Directed by Jason Reitman, son of Ivan Reitman, who said he would never touch the Ghostbusters franchise. <laughs> Written by Gil Keenan and Jason Reitman, based on, of course, the 1984 Ghostbusters, which was originally written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Starring Carrie Coon, Paul Rudd, Finn Wolfhard, and McKenna Grace. What is Ghostbusters Afterlife about? In this story, Egon has been killed by a ghost of some kind. And he has left his debt and home to his daughter. Whom he had left many, many years prior. Many mm. years before that. And she is an alcoholic with two kids. And she has no money. So this comes at the perfect time, except now he has also left her with his debts. Uh, but at least they have a roof over their head, I guess. And they move to this home. And they find out why he was living there. Because, shocker, there's a reason, there's a reason Egon why. was living in the middle of nowhere. But she is the audience that has to be like, we loved him and he left. That doesn't make any sense. Why would the character do that? Which is exactly what people said when like, the initial promos came out of this movie. And it said that Egon left his family and went to go live on a farm. Everyone's like, what the fuck? Egon wouldn't do that. And that's so exactly the role she has. there is a reason. No, I, but that's the thing. The people who were seeing these teasers and complaining about this didn't give it the benefit of the doubt, which is the same thing that Carrie Coon's character does. They don't think that there must be some reason going on here that he would have done this because he wouldn't have done this otherwise, right? So anyways... Kelsey's really attached to the fact that Carrie Coon is an alcoholic. There's nothing about her. She has alcohol. She mentions it like maybe twice. And she falls asleep at a table surrounded by papers with a drink on the table. And like she has this whole like backstory about how she's really an alcoholic. We'll get to it. <laughs> I'm more concerned about the mother. I would like to know who the mother was. Yeah. I want to know There's who, no comment who, who got spangler to have sex with her. Like, I want to know, yeah. but uh -huh. we don't find that out. Uh, the movie is available to rent for $7 on Spectrum, and you can buy it for $20 digitally. Should people watch Ghostbusters Afterlife? Sure. Yeah. It's fine. Sure. There's nothing bad about it, really. It's fine. Yeah. It's not a great time. It's not a great time. It's not lots of fun like the other two are. Yeah, that's the one thing that fine. Kelsey and I really agreed on this. We don't talk about movies much after we watch them because we want to get it all out in the episode. But both of us did kind of come to the same conclusion that the lore all makes sense and everything. It Functionally, it works within this universe, but it's just not as fun. It's kind of dour and slow and... It's long. It's slow. Yeah. And, and there's just like... It gets really fucking sappy and saccharine. But, I mean, it happened in Ghostbusters Part 2 and even in Ghostbusters 1. Like, there's nothing bad about it. Right. But it's just not... 
necessarily what you want out of a Ghostbusters yeah, movie. Not what you're looking for. I think it, it's what you're looking for out of a love letter to the Ghostbusters, but it is not what you're looking for if you want another Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. Like it does that love letter to Ghostbusters thing really, really well. Yes. But it's not itself a Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2021's Ghostbusters Afterlife. New York in the 80s, it's like The Walking Dead. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. My grandfather died. He left us nothing. I wouldn't say that. We gotta see the gold mine of junk not back. Our grandfather was the Ghostbuster. Yes! What the hell is going on? It's the apocalypse. That's not good. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. We're closed. Ghostbusters Afterlife. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Ghostbusters Afterlife begin? The shadowy Egon being chased through a mining town? Yep. By something invisible. Yes. And he ends up in a car crash. And it's not super clear, but like he is somehow taunting the ghost, getting him to come to his trap. Yes. Do we want to say what this is right now? Sure. Okay. So he has Vince Clortho in the trap, and Zool is chasing him. Oh, he has the key master. Yes. He's being followed by the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper. Got it. Yeah. Because they're they're the two demon they need dogs. Each other. Yes. They they need to be together in order for Gozer to be released. And he's trying to get him into this giant trap, but it breaks. Yeah, this giant trap, which we'll find out later, is just a series of other smaller traps, all laid out in a grid, which, okay, sure. But, uh, yeah, it fails. Uh, Something goes wrong with the power or something like that. And I thought the effects were pretty cool here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I feel about the Egon thing. Yeah, you don't get a good look at him here. He's standing behind the posts that support. He's in shadow. But especially when he uh, holds out the trap where he's standing behind the posts at the edge of the porch, at the edge of the porch. So you see like his nose and his hair come off and he still has a vaguely Egon look to him. Of course, it should be noted that Harold Ramis passed away in like 2015 or something like that before the 2016 movie. He ends up being taken by the hands through the chair, just like what happened with Sigourney Weaver in the original. Which is what Zool did to Sigourney Weaver. So now Zool is trying to get Egon and and using the same tactics. So it makes sense. It's not just a callback. Plot-wise, it makes sense. And that's one thing I think this movie does really well. And I absolutely love that they make the lights of the spirits going around just like they are in the first movie. Yes, when they all, like, get out of the containment unit and they fly everywhere, yeah. The biggest flaw here is that they don't use the song. Yes, oh my god. I believe it's magic. Magic. (laughs) I keep... I keep wanting that song to play. I mean, that's the thing about the music is there was no fun music. Like, almost ever in the entire movie. Like, they played a couple songs here and there. Some songs were good. Right. I don't remember what they were, though. Every single time you get that... 
And this does just it just does not have that feel. To oh, it. you don't get that song. You don't until get the very the end. Song until the very end, right? That's it my point. Sucks. Like it's like we know we're watching a Ghostbusters movie. You don't need to withhold that from us. Mm-hmm. Give it to us now. Yeah, this movie was just afraid to have fun. I I think it was. It was so wrapped up in its reverence that it forgot one of the things we like about Ghostbusters is how much fun it is. So we meet our family. Who we know the mother from The Leftovers. Yes, Carrie Coon. Is there anything else people might know her from? I mean, she was Ben Affleck's sister in Gone Girl. She was Proxima Midnight in Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. She was in Fargo, the TV show. But we know her very well from The Leftovers. Yes, folks, if you haven't seen The Leftovers. Please, do yourself a favor. It's so good. It's the best show that nobody saw. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least nobody talked about. Only critics did because they couldn't convince anybody to watch it. It's terribly depressing, Uh, but it's so good. Unless you hate excellent (laughs) drama. And look, like, okay, I'm not watching Euphoria and everybody says I should because I like Zendaya. I have uh-huh. a girl crush on Zendaya. Sure. So everybody's like, oh, you got to watch Euphoria. And I'm like, I tried. I really, really did. I watched several episodes. Yes, it is excellent filmmaking, but it is so, so depressing. And I feel like The Leftovers at least has some humor. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. You should watch it. Anyway, that's where we know Carrie Coon from, and we love her. And she has a son and a daughter. And the son is, of course, Finn Wolfhard, which I'm sorry, as much as I love Finn Wolfhard because I absolutely love Stranger Things, I thought he was fine in it. And I think he's fine here. But his character is so unnecessary to the story. Yep. Aside him from, and Lucky are just totally pointless. Aside from him, like, we us needing... Another Ghostbuster character. Uh-huh. He yeah, is, we just needed to round out the roster, so... He, he is thoroughly he is. unimportant. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. uh, and then there is the daughter, who is very important. McKenna and she Grace. carries a lot of this film on her young shoulders, and I think she does an admirable job. I don't know that she's, you know, the best thing I've ever seen, but I think she does an admirable job. I really enjoyed her. I thought she was... Adorably awkward in very much the same way that Egon is, like that is kind of the character. So absolutely, but then she also lacked the feet, like the moments of humanity that she had Egon a couple, had. I think. But those moments were too stiff. Like when he makes his little jokes, uh-huh. you can see that he gets what other people are doing. Uh-huh. He just doesn't care. Right. She almost seems a little bit on the spectrum or yes. something. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You might recognize her as the young Theo in Haunting of Hill House. Right. And I thought she was really good in mm-hmm. that as Theo. Yeah. And she's been in a lot of things. She's in one of the Amityvilles that we're going to be watching eventually, The Awakening. Oh, no. Well, that's the one that actually, it seemed like they gave it a chance. They put people in it. They put money behind it. (laughs) You know, they gave it a chance. Wait, haven't we seen her in something else, too? She was in in Frankenstein. She was Molly in Frankenstein. Oh, my God, you're right. Uh You're right. We were like, oh, the girl from Hill House. Yes, uh uh-huh. That's the 2015 Frankenstein, for those of you listening out there confused. I think she's so much cuter with her little curls than her long straight hair. 
Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I think she looks really cute with the short hair. Mm-hmm. Do the short hair thing that works for your facial structure. Well, I think more often she's blonde. Well, I think she looks really good with she looks, the dark hair. She looks hair. good in this movie. I, I agree. I think they did a good job with her, and she is much more integral to the movie than Finn Wolfhard is. Yes, absolutely. Finn she Wolfhard carries the movie much more than he does. Is entirely irrelevant. Yeah. Okay, so they are driving into town, and the son says, Oh, man, not a single bar. And he's talking about his phone. And the mother says, Well, there better be a bar. <sighs> Come on, not a single bar. There better be a bar. <laughs> That's funny. There's your first reference to drinking. (laughs) (laughs) As they're driving into the house, which is an obnoxious long drive through this field. (laughs) Yeah. Like, at one point, she's supposed to be walking home from school, the main girl. Uh Uh-huh. And they just cut away the moment that she turns. And you want to know why? Because <laughs> it'd be a forever walk. It would be a forever long walk. Uh-huh. I don't see how you walk to school. <laughs> I mean, I get that people walk much further than that. But, like, it's just ridiculous that, like, you're on your property. <laughs> right, yeah. And you have to walk this ridiculously long, winding road. As they are driving in... In spray paint is the thing from Revelations, which, no, I don't think Egon would do that. Yeah, it is. Well, here's the thing. It's much more of a Ray thing to do. And Ray has it tattooed on his arm, and we see it later. He has it tattooed on his arm now. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became as black as cloth. The seas boiled. The moon became as blood. The skies fell. Revelation 6.12 normal hey maybe it's a good thing you never met your dad as we all remember they're talking about that ray and winston are in the original film yes yeah Mm -hmm. do you remember something in the bible about the last days when the dead would rise from the grave i remember revelation 7 12 and i looked as he opened the sixth seal and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth and the moon became as blood. And the seas boiled, and the skies fell. Judgment day. Judgment day. Every ancient religion has its own myth about the end of the world. Myth? Ray, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave? And it just doesn't seem like an Egon thing to do. Right. Well, that's the thing. I think what Egon did is he realized that that's what they were talking about. Also inside the house, there are stacks of books like in the original film. Mm -hmm. Now, Egon is going to full on be a ghost in this film. He will be. He is going to have a full on presence and Mm -hmm. like a personality. So I'm wondering if he did that because... These are the important ones or these are... No, I thought it was because of the joke because of what Peter says, people, yes, because no one has ever stacked. Oh, stacked books that way before. Yeah. And so he did that's, it. That's what Peter says to Ray. Yeah. When they're in the library at the beginning of the first one. Okay. So. Because Ray's like, look at how these books are stacked. It's <laughs> like, yeah, because nobody's ever stacked books that way. <laughs> this is hot, Ray. Symmetrical book stacking. Just like the Philadelphia Man's Turbulence of 1947. You're right. No human being would stack books like this. That's the thing. The movie's missing that kind of humor. Where is that? 
we kind of breezed over it a little bit, but when we got the title card of Ghostbusters, no energizing song. Like, period. Not even the theme song, of course, we mentioned that, but there's not even any sort of pick-up-the-energy sort of song or intimidating, this is spooky, but it's going to be fun because the movie's not that. <laughs> no. We also passed over the fact that Egon had a PKE meter when he was running away from Zool. Why would he need a PKE meter? But... I think they revealed it through the rest of the movie. It's like a hot and cold sort of dowsing rod. So yes. whichever way he turns indicates where the ghost activity is. But then it also sort of like turns into a stun gun at one point, And then he drops it when he gets grabbed and it rolls under his chair. And Phoebe is going to find it later. And I wrote down, why does it look like a stun gun? It is. It's a stun. The PKE meter is a stun gun now. Was it always? No. Okay. I don't know if maybe they did it in the cartoon and I just don't remember it. Because <laughs> there are things that they introduced in the cartoon that are represented here. Like the gunner seat in Ecto-1. Which really doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it, guys. Yeah. So we talked about that there's going to be a moment where they're going to chase down a Slimer stand-in, a Slimer analog. Yep. And it's flying away and they grab it with the proton pack in the gunner seat and they're driving after it. But the whole point of the proton pack is when you lasso somebody is that they're tied to the proton pack via the stream. So the only way they're going to be able to fly away from you is if you're in your car driving towards them. Mm -hmm. It's like a dog on a leash. So if it's stationary, there's nothing to chase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's only good in grabbing them while they're running away. But once you got them, stop. Yeah, just stop the car. <laughs> so, like, the gunner seat makes sense, but the way they use it doesn't make sense. It's very odd. And it's weird that nobody thinks about it. Right. <laughs> but they need to do that so that they cause all this damage yeah, to the town. Uh -huh. And then they get in trouble with the police. Right. Anyway, so they show up at the house. There's the books. They uh, encounter their first earthquake. Yes, there's earthquakes here in a place where there is no fault line. Exactly. She's wondering about the fault line, and then the daughter says, well, maybe it's just the fracking. And we'll find out later that there is no fracking nearby. Mm-hmm. And at first, the kids thought that they were just staying there for the summer to, like, take care of the father's affairs. But they find out that, no, they've been evicted. Yes. So they're living there now. <laughs> yes. And they they find out through Janine. Yeah, who shows up. Who is Janine. Apparently she lives in the town. No, Annie Potts still kept in contact. Janine still kept in contact with Egon and handled all of his affairs, basically. Took care of the things that he needed, made sure that the bills were paid as much as she could, but he was severely in debt, and they're basically underwater, so they can't just sell the house and get out. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get anything out of it. Mm -hmm. They basically have to live there and try to work off the debt. Here's where I noted that's a good song to play here, but I'm not sure what song it is. Is it when they go to the restaurant and there's some sort of song playing? Let me see what songs oh, are Oh, maybe. Movie. Hold on. Let me see what songs are in the movie. Soundtracks. Oh, yes, they do. They go to the drive-in and they play, like, 50s music. They're playing, like, old-school music in the beginning of the film, which I appreciate. There's the clap, pat, clap, slap song, the clapping song uh -huh. at the very beginning. Uh -huh. Maybe it's you by the Shirelles. Yeah. I can't Cause baby, it's you. 
and All Your Love I Miss Loving by Otis Rush. Yeah. So. One of those is played during there, yeah. And it's this burger place where people ride around on their roller skates. And this is where Finn Wolfhard will see the girl that he has a crush on. And Lucky. like, look, I think that they are both good actors. I think that they do a fine job. And, I think they're charming enough, sure. And they do introduce the fa- like where the peop- where the like structure is, but I feel like the sister finds that on her own as well, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I feel like they're able to take other people there at some point, but she also finds it on they her own. They make it their way on their own, yeah, when they're chasing after Muncher. Uh, so, guys, it just seems like their whole story is very unnecessary, and it just takes a yes. lot of time, and he will get hazed. He, he's going to get a job here because he has a crush on this girl because she works there, and he's going to get hazed, and like all this stuff is going to happen, and you're just like... None of this matters. Right. And and it just basically shows you he's he gets this, you know, teens out in the country with nothing to do but going for a ride and kicking rocks in the mountains somewhere or whatever, you know, but he's just living that life and he's he's acclimating to a new place. And, and it's not interesting. It's not it's interesting. Not we don't care about Finn Wolfhard's character. We just don't. <laughs> and it's it's so unnecessary. And the movie's just over two hours long. And they could take out everything with the burger joint, with him getting the job there, with him getting hazed, with the other guys teasing him for being in too lucky, with Lucky thinking that he's 17 when he's actually 15. Mm-hmm. Like that Sort of like all of that could go and you'd save a good 10, 15 minutes off the runtime. <laughs> he will be the one who finds the car. And I'm fine with him yeah. finding the car. I'm sure. fine with him driving around in it and him being her driver and everything. That's what if he all spent great. all of his time working on that car to get it running again? How cool would that be? And it was his own private little project. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of a taste of that, but not really. Have her be a gearhead. Have it be something yeah. where, like, he asks for her help. They can work together, together on it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And have them bonding as opposed to them going off and having their own stories and then colliding at some point completely by chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep it contained. Yeah. Phoebe ends up playing a game of chess with her ga- her grandfather, which I enjoyed there. Okay, let's explain what happens. <laughs> she sets up a chessboard and she does a move. And then when she comes back to it later, the opposing side had gone. So she does another move. And then she sees the opposing side actually hover and move. And she sees it take one of her pieces. And she's playing an active game of chess with a ghost that she might suspect is her grandfather, but has yet to confirm. I really enjoyed their dynamic. That was really, really cute. All of the you can't see Harold Ramis because he's a ghost stuff was really good. I I liked that stuff. I just don't know how I felt about when I could actually see him. Yes. Because that was awkward. I was laying it on a little bit thick, and it felt like it was more for the actual human actors Mm -hmm. and the director uh, more than it was for the audience. Mm -hmm. But they have a really cute dynamic. But it almost feels like, oh... He would have loved his daughter if she had been more like this. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, he can bond with his granddaughter more than he could his daughter. Because let's explain that as far as anybody knows, he just abandoned everything. Yes, uh-huh. Just abandoned his family, abandoned his daughter. No, we do not get to ever find out about the family situation, who nope. the mother was. What the circumstances of him leaving were, why their relationship went south, like, specifically. We do know that... 
Callie, Carrie Coon, did not tell her children that their grandfather was Egon Spangler of the Ghostbusters, Phoebe doesn't even know who the fuck the Ghostbusters are. Which, if you feel like that's a little unbelievable, that, like, if that actually happened, guys, if these two events literally happened, Mm -hmm. if you don't think there would be movies about it, if they'd talk about it in school, if they wouldn't, if there wouldn't be books about it, there wouldn't be TV shows about it. I am, I am very much. a cultural phenomenon. I am very much on board with you. Yeah. But 40% of Americans think that the election was stolen. How many people out there don't think the fucking Holocaust happened? Right, but that would mean that there would be lots and lots Uh of debate about it. Right, but you talk to your kids that are older than this, and you are astonished at the things that you take for granted, as far as, like, how do you not know about this? And we get one of those moments, you know, where uh, Trevor Finn Wolfhard at one point says, oh, yeah, the, the ghost thing in Manhattan in the 80s or whatever, right? Okay, so what the hell is going on? In the 1980s, New York City was attacked. Yeah, no, I know the Manhattan ghost stories. Yeah, well, the stories are real. Yeah, and so are the guys who climbed a building and saved the world and fought back an invading army of the undead. Not to mention a 100-foot marshmallow man. I think he says something about it. Like, he, he heard about, oh, yeah, there's something about ghosts in the 80s. He oh, he makes some, some sort of offhanded comment when Phoebe brings it up, but also Paul Rudd's character, yes, Paul Gruberson, Rudd knows about it it's like, he's... how do you not know about... Oh, wait. Killer replica. Totally. A replica of what? Trap. A ghost trap? Seriously? How do you, of all people, not know about this? I'm ashamed. Oh, I was obsessed. New York in the 80s? It's like The Walking Dead. Then it just stopped? Mm-hmm. I mean, there hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. But that's how you feel with your students when you bring something up and they have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I guess that's true. My students have no idea what any any war was. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And those really happened. Yes. But I feel like ghosts would be a big deal to kids. (laughs) But again, nobody believes it. They come, there's some big show, and then they go away. And that's all we get. So I think what happens is, is when ghosts don't stay consistent, people go, they forget. They think, oh, well, it must have been some sham. They rationalize things away. And then they don't tell their kids about it. Okay. Now, there's this whole bizarre package wrapped around how Phoebe is going to meet Paul Rudd. And I understand that they they, they felt that this was a good way to do it. But my thing is, it's the summertime. Okay, first of all, she's a genius. She wouldn't be in fucking summer school. Why is she going to summer school and he's not? Right. That makes zero, zero sense. Okay. Why not just have her be bored in the summertime Uh and walking around town and that's how she could meet podcasts because he's walking around making a podcast about Uh his boring ass town. Meet him that way. And she takes him to the local museum, and that's where the seismologist is. Why doesn't that make more sense than him being a seismologist slash summer school teacher? He's here to learn about the things that are going on, so he's teaching summer school, but he's not really teaching summer school because he's just putting on horror movies. Cujo and Child's Play. (laughs) That you would never put on for middle school kids. But that's why it's funny. That's the joke. I got yelled at for reading 
the monkey's paw to sixth graders, and this guy's showing child's play and Cujo. Mm-hmm. But I think the to point is is that nobody cares about kid. summer school, and he can just he says as much. Nobody cares, so I can just do whatever I want. Isn't it great? So he's established that nobody in this backwaters town cares. But if they didn't care, why are they sending their kids to summer school anyway? Because you need babysitters, I guess. But still, as soon as they get. Phoebe and Podcast and Gruberson together, they forget about the summer school angle altogether. Yeah, so wouldn't it be better to not happening. have that angle in the first place? It's so dumb. My, my story is clean and neat. She's walking around town. She encounters this nerd. They become friends. She finds a museum and he's working in there. Yes, this is a young Logan Kim, and this is virtually his only credit. And it doesn't have to be a fancy museum. It can be a really shitty museum. The only reason he's there is because he's studying the the seismic waves. And he's called Podcast because he has a podcast. It gets really good in the 46th episode or something like that. Really gets into its voice or whatever it is that they say. Oh, that, yeah, that That's important because it's going to pay off later. It's so good. (laughs) So that's Phoebe and podcast meet Gruberson and he's going to tell them all about the Ghostbusters who they had never heard of before and what Phoebe doesn't say because she doesn't figure out yet is that she is the granddaughter of one of the Ghostbusters. Meanwhile, Trevor and Lucky are hanging out and befriending each other. There's some really cute back and forth between Phoebe and Paul Rudd. Phoebe's whole thing is that she makes jokes because Trevor told her, no, her mom told her to tell a joke or whatever, and Trevor's been testing her. All right, tell me a joke. And she does. And he's like, that was terrible, mom. It's horrible advice you're giving her. <laughs> but yeah, that's her thing because she doesn't know how to socialize with people and make friends that she's learned a bunch of jokes and she tells them very dryly. But so she makes a really funny one and Paul Rudd stops and he's like, was that a geometry joke? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And she goes, yes. I didn't know if you were being obtuse, she says to him. And it's it just it's a good joke because it fits so perfectly. If it wasn't a pun, it would still make sense. Yes. So like perfect delivery, and he recognizes it, and it's a really charming sort of hey, you know what? He really likes her. He thinks she's a cool kid. <laughs> Was that a joke? Yes, that's why I winked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's she's good. I like the character. I like Phoebe. I, I set up geophones, but I can't triangulate. Are you using three? Yeah. I know how many sides there are in a triangle. I just thought you were being obtuse. Was that a geometry joke? Yes, that's why I winked. Ah, uh, that's terrible. No, I loved it. She also suspects that it could be the apocalypse because he's there studying all these seismic waves that he can't understand. Yeah. She's like, what if it's the apocalypse because Mm -hmm. of the revelations thing that Uh she saw on her grandfather's house. Later on, Phoebe and Podcast will be hanging out. Oh, yeah. And Podcast will say something about ghosts. Or something about, like, what happened in the 80s or something. And she'll be like, those are all lies. I don't believe in ghosts. And they say something about, it's a curse. And I just wrote down, these kids are so cute together. Uh Like, they're really adorable. I love them being best friends. Uh Somewhere around here, we see a Shandor sign. There's, like, a gate somewhere that I saw in the background. I'm like, why does that sound so fucking familiar? Shandor, Shandor. Yeah, the na- there's a name. It's Ivo Shandor. And I couldn't 
quite put my finger on. And if you know anything about Ghostbusters, you're probably yelling right now. And especially if you saw our Ghostbusters episode recently where we do mention him by name, (laughs) he is a character in universe in Ghostbusters. And so, again, I really like how all the plot ties up sort of really neatly. Yes, very neatly. And we'll, we'll learn more about why it's important that Ivo Shandor had business interests here in this town. Also, another thing about their little relationship is that he says, maybe you, or she says, maybe I could listen to your podcast sometime. And he immediately hands her this, like, rainbow. Thumb drive, yeah. It's a rainbow dash. Rainbow thumb dash. Thumb drive, thumb yes. Drive. <laughs> and I thought that was really cute. And then he says, do you want to be my lab partner? And she goes, well, I don't think we'll be doing any labs. And he goes, yeah, but still. <laughs> It's really cute. Uh So when Egon finally shows that he's there by moving the piece in front of her, the PKE meter, like, lights up, and then the Mm -hmm. door opens up, and another light turns on, and he's leading her somewhere. He leads her to the chair where she finds the trap in the floor. Yes, she shuffles around the wood flooring Until it reveals an opening, and then that's where he hid the trap that we saw at the beginning of the movie. This is where I wrote down, I guess the mom's just passed out drunk? She is. She's face down on a table. She has, like, a wine glass there or something like that. But there's also all this paperwork that she's getting through. And it's late at night. We don't know what time it is. So it could be perfectly innocent. We don't know that there's anything destructive about her interest in alcohol, is my point. So she finds the trap, and now she also has the PKE meter. Yes. So she takes those with her to school, and that's where Paul Rudd sees them. He's like, what a cool replica. Uh And he tells them, there hasn't been been a ghost sighting in 30 years. And then he decides to open the trap. And I'm like, what? So he's going to show them all about the Ghostbusters and what was going on in the 80s in New York. And they say the 80s, which also includes Ghostbusters 2. So, again, what happens in this movie does not negate Ghostbusters 2 whatsoever. They just don't reference it very much. Like I said earlier, you will see the Toastmaster in Egon's lab later. But yeah, then he takes them outside because he realizes it's the real thing. Takes them outside and they're going to open it up. Like, dude... There's either nothing or a ghost in there. (laughs) And it is one of those things where it's like, you know, how can I feel good about these characters when I know that all this bad stuff is happening specifically because they do something stupid? Yes, that is frustrating. So what we'll find out later is that in a mine shaft, there's a contraption set up that is keeping Gozer from returning. That Zool has been hiding in a mine, and that Vince Clortho is hiding, is trapped in this trap. So as long as Zool and Vince are separated, and they have this thing set up preventing Gozer from coming out, there's like multiple layers of protection to prevent Gozer from coming. But Gozer is getting stronger somehow and is causing these earthquakes. But, like, them letting Vince Clortho out is what really sets all this bad stuff in motion. Mm-hmm. Sends it over the edge. Yes, and it's all because Paul Rudd is just, like, a kid. Yeah. Just like uh-huh. them and just like, let's open this. Oh, my God. I love these things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, the reason that I said, like, the one thing that the relationship between 
Finn Wolfhard and Lucky. Lucky. The one thing that you get from it is that when they finally go on their first date or whatever, they're sitting on top of the mine shaft and they're going to hear Gozer just like Sigourney Weaver does. Yes, it's Zool Only saying this time Gozer. You can actually hear Gozer. Yeah. Oh no, wait, she says she hears Zool. Yeah, she hears Zool. Yeah, she hears Zool. They but hear in Gozer. this, they hear Gozer. They hear Zool say Gozer and then come flying out. That's the moment when Vince Clortho also gets out. Look at that. The two demons, the gatekeeper and the keymaster, are now free. Yes. Hooray! So we get to see some fun stuff back at the house while uh, Phoebe is investigating her grandfather and who he was. We get to see spores, molds, and fungus. Yes. Yeah, she she finds his lab. He kind of directs her down there. But yes, that is what he mentioned in the first movie about what his hobbies are when he was talking to Janine. And she's like looking at all this stuff and she's like, how did you make this stuff? And he points the light at uh, his wall of uh, degrees and she's like, you're a genius. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> his the use of the light to represent how Egon is interacting with his granddaughter and later his daughter is really fucking charming and it's executed very well. Yes, I agree. So they end up because those things are out. She takes she takes the proton pack and goes outside. Uh-huh. Or they're going to they're trying it out. They're or trying something. it out and yeah, and then they find Muncher. And the kid podcast, who's always got his big microphone uh-huh. to do podcasts with, he like when she takes out her proton pack, he like holds his microphone out yeah, like that. Uh-huh. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. Just love those two together. She ends up going after, I think you like you said, muncher. the the muncher. And the kid podcast says a cute line, you didn't hit it, you destroyed it. <laughs> and it's basically just a version of Slimer. Slimer. Yeah, except instead of Slimer eats all the food and gets slime everywhere, Muncher eats anything. Mostly and metal. And mostly metal. And he can spit it out as bullets. Yes. I was a little sad because at some point, Podcast found like this Aztec ghost whistle. And yes, Phoebe's it was so mom, cool. And Phoebe's mom was like, you can fucking have it. And he's like, so cool. And he blows it at the muncher, and uh-huh. the muncher doesn't isn't affected at all. It's like he's scared Aw. by it at first, though. Is he? Yeah. Uh huh. And then he blows the bullets at him. Yeah, <laughs> spits the bullets at him. But so while they're doing this, the mom and Paul Rudd are out on their date. Yes. And he is just boring her to death, and he she's just like, I have an allergy to science. And he's talking about all this really cool uh-huh. shit, and she's bored to death. And she's just like, more to drink, more to drink. She has a she has a joke about whiskey, yes. And she's drinking from a Buddha. Uh-huh. This is when they go out in the car. Wait, yeah, because Trevor gets Wolfhard? the car running, and he goes for a joyride, and yeah. he goes out of control, and he spins out right in front of them, walking oh. to follow Muncher. Yes. And so he picks them up. And they drive into the town. They find Muncher and while chasing after him, destroy a lot of the town. Exactly. And I can't have fun with this because I'm distracted by two things. Like I said, one, why not just stop the fucking car? And uh-huh. two, oh, great. Now they're just destruct- destructing the whole town and no one's going to believe them. Right. And we get to see that the the theater in town is playing Cannibal Girls, which is an Ivan Reitman film. 
And that was also, we didn't mention it, but it was in Ghostbusters 2 as well. So at the jail where they find themselves. Right, because they get pulled over. <laughs> yes. Of course they get their one phone call, which don't be fooled, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as one phone. You get. You can get a lawyer. Yes, you may call a lawyer. Well, even then, you might just have to give them the number and they have to call him. Like, there is no, there is no guaranteed phone call. Hmm. But so when he gives them their phone call, guess what he says? Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? Mm-hmm. Little cheesy. Yes. And the camera is trying to punctuate it. And yeah, it's too cheesy. Oh, that's Bokeem Woodbine, by the way. In his one moment on screen. Yes, he's in like this one scene and then never again. Yeah. So she ends up calling the phone number that she has for Ghostbusters from the old commercial, which yeah. apparently somehow Ray still has. Ray still it's has. the number for Ray's occult, his bookstore, which he's still it's working a landline there. Landline in New York City. Are yeah, you kidding me? Uh-huh. They haven't changed the number on him. Right. Anyway, and so he's talking to her, and he she asks him about Egon, and it sounds almost like a little girl asking interview questions. She doesn't mention that she's in prison. She doesn't mention that she's Egon's granddaughter. None of that. That's not true, because he says, I'm not a lawyer to her, but I'm listening. Because she says, I'm in jail. Oh, a little later. Yeah, but not like, I need you to do something about it. Like, that happens partway through the conversation. He says, Egon Spangler can rot in hell. And yes. then she tells him, well, he died last week. And then he feels kind of bad about what uh-huh. he just said. Right, but he says... Something that almost sounds a little bit uncaring. And she's like, I thought you were friends. I'm calling about Egon Spangler. Egon Spangler can rot in hell. He died last week. Oh, man. No kidding. Weren't you two friends? That was a long time ago. They have this conversation about how they split up. Basically, Egon kind of got obsessed with this prophecy and following the signs out to this dirt hole town. What it is, is he got obsessed with the Gozer stuff. And what he tracked down was where Ivo Shandor who built the building from Ghostbusters 1 and had the infrastructure made out of selenium, mined all of his selenium from this town, which was interesting. And that's why Egon went out there, because there was something going on out there, especially now with all the new earthquakes. So we get a little bit of insight into why Egon went there. And at the end, Bokeem Woodbine hangs up for her just as she's explaining He's my grandfather. I'm there now. Something's going on or whatever. We also find out where the other two are. Winston is super rich. Yes, he he says that he got... I don't remember if it says what he did for a living, but he ended up making a lot of money. Winston went into finance. He worked hard, coined a fortune. The firehouse was bought up by some actor. No, Uh, it's a Starbucks now. Yeah, but the whole... The whole neighborhood is, like, owned by an actor buying up a bunch of property or whatever. Oh, we could barely keep up our mortgage. Some actor bought up most of Tribeca and we lost the firehouse. It's a Starbucks now. And it uh, got turned Peter into a Starbucks. is a professor, He's which a professor I don't know if I believe. Of advertising. 
because that's what he does. Like he does that sound like what Peter would want to do is teach. Well, that's where he can make his money. Peter went back to academia. He's at SUNY Cortland now. He's a professor emeritus. He teaches advertising and promotion. And Ray is just still at the store. But so they end up getting bailed out of jail. Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd show up. But we don't ever find out where podcast went. Yes. So this is a symptom of the movie. There are plenty of times where podcast is there and then it just cuts to the next scene and we've forgotten about podcast. This was the first scene that I wrote it down, but we had noticed it once before. Yes, it'll happen other times too. Uh, It's kind of a bummer because I think podcast should be held in higher regard. (sighs) We get a lot of like, we see Stay Puffed Marshmallows oh, in the grocery yeah. store. Yeah, okay, so we that stay, night... We see Stay Puffed Marshmallow uh, painted on a on a wall of a town. It's just like, really? I don't think it's necessary. And why is it that they just happen to make a billion of them? It's weird. So, okay. So when all these ghosts have gotten out, and now there's real ghosts showing up, I guess, Vin's Clortho goes to a Walmart. In the middle of the night, and it just happens to be where Paul Rudd is going. And he happens to be, like, aside from one other screaming person we hear later on in this scene, he's, like, the only one in this entire Walmart. But it is, like, a 24-hour store, and it's the middle of the night. Been there in those situations before. And it's a small town. Fine. But... It just happens to be perfectly timed when Vince Clortho is there, and it just happens to be as he passes by the Stay Puft Marshmallows, and the only thing that comes to life and gets animated in the entire store is these little marshmallows that turn into tiny Stay Puft Marshmallow men. Take them out of the movie. Remove them completely. They are so unnecessary, except for they give podcasts something to do later on in the movie. Well, and also, like, they're supposed to be cute, so they're not scary. And then, like, they're also evil to each other. They're like little teeny cute gremlins. Yeah, I guess. But also, stop me if you think I'm wrong. Wouldn't that be a, after the 80s situation, wouldn't that be a PR nightmare? Right, Don't having a, a the company puff probably would have gone a little, uh, gone under? And changed their mascot? I think this would Companies have... that don't have big problems like that changed their mascot in 30 years. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, think they would have gone under. Yeah. I don't think you can come back from that. But hey, Stay Puft Marshmallows were apparently very popular. Everyone bought Stay Puft. Yeah. And then there was a giant demon one that tried to yeah, kill people. Yeah, so you change your mascot. That's what I'm saying. This company doesn't have to go under, but you think to prevent from going under, <laughs> they would have changed their marketing a little bit. But yeah, We're anyway. Not the evil people from the New York City problem. It's dumb. He ends up getting attacked by them, which is stupid. But more importantly, he runs into Vince Clortho in dog form and looks great. Looks like the original Looks incredible. So he's basically kind of being the Rick Moranis right now. Yes. The implication is that Vin's is stumbling, bumbling one anyway. And Zool is the seductress, sinister one, right? And so what's going to happen is Paul Rudd is going to get attacked by Vin's, and then Vin's is going to take him over as the new key master, and then, and then it'll be course, like Rick Moranis, like you say. And then, of course, yes, Zool goes to Carrie Coon so she can be like a seductress or whatever. And I got to say, her dress ain't got nothing on Sigourney's It doesn't. Dress. It was okay. It was fine. She looked great. But like, 
Yeah. Even better. But it's it's that thing where she's wearing this sexy dress and he's just has he just has his own clothes all torn up, you know. Just like in the because, original. Yeah, because Vince Clortho's a slob, a bumbling idiot. He stumbles around, he runs into things just like he did in the first movie. So she keeps telling jokes throughout the movie, and one of them is like a hamster joke, and at that point I was annoyed. I was like, seriously? This hamster joke? Like, come on, come on, we don't need a joke every five minutes. Come on. So what do a cigarette and a hamster have in common? What? They're both completely harmless until you stick one in your mouth and light it on fire. <laughs> the worst time. And I was like, this movie just doesn't need to be this long at this point. This is around the point where Lucky finds out that Winfim Wolhard is actually only 15. Yeah, okay, so they go to the mines and they find that the he was body of bay. Ivo Shandor, mm -hmm. who's been entombed here in glass, and wants to offer himself up to Gozer. So every time Gozer well, he gets thought close they would to rule coming together. up, yes. But every time Gozer gets close to getting released, his body sort of wakes up. And then when it recedes, he falls back asleep again. So he is somewhat powered by all of this. He is somehow connected to the supernatural. And we know he ran some fucking cult in the 80s or whatever, or further back. No, even. way back. Way back then. when they built the building. Yes. Yeah, like way before that. So, yeah, he's a very, very old man. And it's J.K. Simmons. By he the looks way. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's perfectly preserved. But that's J.K. Simmons. And they find a big pit, and they find all these proton packs that are set up, and then every time a PKE meter goes off, because they're sensing Gozer's about to be released, the proton packs uh, cross streams at the portal that's there and prevent Gozer from being released as sort of like a second line of defense, short of keeping Zool and Vince Clortho separate. But they're not separate. Because Zool has Carrie Coon, and Vince Clortho has Paul Rudd, and they're going to meet up, and they're going to fuck, but we don't see it. We get the there is only Zool line from Yes, because Carrie the Coon. kids show up and see their mom there. They keep saying, mom, mom, there is no, no mom, mom. There there's is only Zool. Which is fine. It makes sense. That's a thing Zool says. She goes to podcast, are you the key master? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really cute. The girlfriend Lucky isn't great in this scene. What the hell is going on? Not great. Yeah. Not a great response. But in any case. The love scene between the Keymaster and yes. the gatekeeper is not nearly as great as in the original because they need to keep it for, like, yeah, okay for the we kids. Yeah, we get like nothing. They insinuate that they're going to have sex. They meet up. And then the next time we see them, they're walking towards the portal. And we don't know if that's immediately after they met up and so they're going to go have sex or if they just had sex. We don't know. But they reference it as a joke. So it is relevant. Mm -hmm. And the movie doesn't like it's it's a weird sort of structuring of the events to where it's completely removed of all of its teeth, which is a little bit weird. But eh, it's got to be for families. Fine. If you're an, you're an adult, adult and you don't, you don't think, think Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters is, is for kids, kids go, go fuck, fuck yourself. yourself. When we finally get to see Gozer come out, I again loved that they kept, again, the same color and, like, effects for the stuff that came out. Uh, I just wish that they'd played the song again. And she comes out and she's like, are you prepared to die? No, I'm 12. Yeah, she talks to her and tells her jokes and Phoebe does. Yeah, and I was like, fun. 
I was like, there are a few good jokes in here, but like it got lost because you've done so many yeah. jokes. Not all of them were great. And just for the record, we know that Gozer is genderless and they do play that up. Uh, in this movie for a, for a reference or two, but it is played by Olivia Wilde, so we're going to say her. And they do say her a couple times in the movie, so it's not incorrect. And this is when... The other Ghostbusters show up. Yes! And it's all of them, and they're wearing their outfits, they, and it's like an instant nostalgia hit. They answered the call. Yes. They answered the call. And then she turns... Still no song. Yes, yeah, still no song. Perfect opportunity. Mm-hmm. She turns to them and 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 there's an interaction or something. And then Winston says, I think she remembers us. Hey, flat top. Have you missed us? Those are the Gozarian. The name of the county of Somerville, state of Oklahoma, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, all the members of Ducks Unlimited, the Association for the Advancement of Retired Persons, I command you under the National Invasive Species Act to depart this world immediately. Bravo. I think she remembers us. To which Gozer immediately says, Are you a god? Oh my god. Now, I would have been fine with that if Ray had confidently said yes, and then uh-huh. she had just like flung them away like she did the first time. Yeah. That would have been great. But that's not what happened. He hesitates again, and this time they're like, come on, Ray. Yeah. Ray? Oh, come on, Ray. Yes. Come on. I thought we went over this. It's, it's like, real. It's no. a little on-the-nose reference. It is yes. so unsubtle. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a little much. But somewhere in here, they've gone from the original portal in the mines back to the farmhouse, and they're trying to get her... Oh, that's what they do. They trap, we forgot, they manage to trap Vins, I think, right? And so it fucks up with Gozer and Gozer's all messed up and not like the full thing. She's like half on fire or whatever. And so, yeah, they're out at this farm. She flings the Ghostbusters again. They get knocked down. They try the trap and the trap doesn't work. All the little marshmallows come out in the Ectomobile because they were in there somehow. How'd they get in there? Why would they be in there? It does not make any sense, but Podcast has to fight them, and he uses the Taser version of the PKE to do that. Trevor uses his proton pack to power the traps, and lost opportunity, as long as this movie was, and as much time as they could have saved, we got one or two glimpses. Like, we got Muncher as another ghost. There's a ghost... That's, there's a miner, a ghost of a dead miner having coffee at the coffee shop or the diner or whatever, right? So that's another reference we see. But other than that, we don't get like a good montage of all the ghosts around the city fucking with everyone. Are you kidding? They had that one that you were really excited about from the cartoon. Oh, you're right. There was one, it was a, it was like a a Cyclops one. I remember that toy. You're right. You're right. There was like two or three that we got to see or something like that. But when they set off the trap, it's all these little teeny traps and it sucks in all the ghosts. And it's like there's a hundred of them. It's like, who are all these ghosts and where were they and why didn't we get to see them? We got to see a couple of them. You're right. Thank you for calling me out on that. 
what else happens here? When they turn their protons packs on. Oh, yeah, the three is Man, I love that sound. Yes, I think that's Winston that says that. Light him up. Man, I love that sound. On the count of three, go on two, one. They do the three proton packs against her and try to hold her. They immediately cross the streams and she immediately tries to uncross the streams. Because she's too strong for just three of them. So they need a fourth. Now, here's a problem. What was crossing the streams in the first movie? Do you remember the context of that? It could undo everything. It could, like, destroy every atom in the universe or something like that, right? There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good-bad thing. What do you mean, bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. Which is why if you did it on her, when you're hitting her and you cross them, then you're undoing her. Yeah, it's she is in the portal in her realm. And so they go, they shoot it into the portal and cross the streams there, blowing up that realm and closing the portal. I have a radical idea. The door swings both ways. We could reverse the particle flow through the gate. How? We'll cross the streams. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was bad. Cross the streams. You're going to endanger us. You're going to endanger our client, the nice lady who paid us in advance before she became a dog. Not necessarily. There's definitely a very slim chance we'll survive. That's how they stopped it in the first movie. And that explosion is what melted the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, right? And got them all covered with melted marshmallow. So what good is crossing the streams if all you're doing is just trying to capture Gozer and there is no portal? I don't know. <laughs> I think they forgot why they were crossing the streams and just assumed, like I think a lot of people do, that crossing the streams is the thing that you're never supposed to do, but you do it at the very end, at the climax, and it just solves the problem, right? <laughs> but they don't explain why it would solve this problem other than that now in this scenario... They need four streams to cross in order to capture her because Gozer is too strong. And the fourth stream, because Trevor is using his to power all the traps, is Phoebe. And Phoebe is being helped by her ghost grandfather, Egon, who is holding the proton pack with her. We get ourselves a Harry Potter standoff, which is annoying. The way they communicate it is that... Like, the proton pack gets stronger if you will it harder. No, I think it's supposed to be that his Egon's helping. Right, but he's, like, holding it with her and aiming it appropriately. But it's a science machine doing a science thing. <laughs> you can't just stress harder and it's more powerful. Like, that's not how it works. Maybe if you're but a that's ghost, the way they communicate it. Who the fuck knows? through the thing. Who the, but we get... Exactly a Harry Potter versus Voldemort standoff where they shoot vague magic bolts at each other and it's meeting in the middle and it's like, oh, it's like a tug of war. Oh, pushing a little bit more this way and now pushing a little bit more this way. Yeah, the only lame. one who has variable power in this scenario is Gozer, not the proton pack. It's doing a very specific scientific thing <laughs> anyway. But yeah, they do the they do the trap thing and Egon doesn't get sucked in. He's a ghost. He's standing right on them. They're pulling in ghosts from everywhere. 
Maybe it's only and he doesn't get sucked in. Let in through Gozer's portal. It shouldn't matter. They're ghosts. Maybe it's because he has the power of God. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> this basically they're they're bending over backwards a little bit just so they can have a visible Egon. Yes. interacting with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's really cheesy and sappy it when he's there standing there with sappy. them. Especially with in order to get everyone their time to talk to Egon in the order that they want it to happen, Carrie Coon sees her father there as a ghost. And before she talks to him, she talks to Paul Rudd. They have a joke about how they just had sex. Like your dad's right there. Your dead dad is a visible fucking ghost, and everyone's not crowding around that. You're just going to have a little joke about the guy you just had sex with? It was weird. Uh, we didn't mention that in order to for Gozer to come out again, Zool takes over Lucky, and they swap bodies at some point. No, it's Paul Rudd still. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one that saves her. That's how they broke it earlier when I said they, ca- they captured Vince Clortho. No, they captured Zool and freed Carrie Coon, and then... Zool takes Lucky's body, and so they need to free Lucky and Paul Rudd at the very end. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but yes, everyone gets their moment to talk to Egon. I thought you might turn up. I'm sorry. I didn't believe you. I should have called. A mission, my friend. And it's just an opportunity for these actors... And the filmmakers to say goodbye to their friend. It just wasn't as powerful for me as an audience member. Because it's very obviously for Harold Ramis. You know how we know? Because when this movie ends just a couple minutes later, it's going to say for Harold. I'm thinking more about Harold Ramis, the actor, than I am about Egon, the character. And I'm thinking, like, it's completely broken the spell that this movie could have had over me. It's just too cheesy. And I know it's important, and it was therapeutic for them, and I'm sure a lot of people in the audience thought it was very therapeutic for them, too. But I don't know. It's like they forgot they were making a movie. And instead, they're making some tribute video that you would play at his funeral or something like that. Like, that's what it felt like. But anyway, the movie just ends right here. Last couple of lines I want to say. Okay. I think it's Paul Rudd. He says, my hands hurt from galloping. Yes, that was cute. That was funny. That was funny. And podcast is talking to Ray. Yes. And he He asked him if he could interview him for his podcast. And he mentions the name and he's like, oh, yeah, that really found its voice in the 46th episode. Yes. And he goes, you're my one subscriber. (laughs) You're my subscriber is what he says, implying that there's only one. Yeah, it is really cute. Are you all right, son? You just single handedly defeated a manifestation of Gozer. You got to be my podcast. Sure. What's it called? Mystical Tales of the Unknown Universe. MTW. That's you. You're my subscriber? Really found its voice in the 46th episode. It's very obvious that podcast is supposed to be the Ray. Obviously, Phoebe is supposed to be the Egon. So who's who? You might think that Lucky, being the black girl, is the Winston. Probably not the case. She's the smooth-talking, sarcastic one. Or you're like me and you thought she was a Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, she's probably... I mean, if she was, if she is the new a new fourth Ghostbuster in this, because they put them in the outfit, 
she then would be Peter, which leaves Trevor, Finn Wolfhard to be Winston. And like, okay, sure. But those two felt completely unnecessary Mm -hmm. for this movie, which is a real kind of bummer. It felt like they were forcing them in at every moment. Yes, we agree. We finally get the song. Yes, at the very, very end. Yeah. Thank God. You're just like, oh my God, I didn't think I'd ever get to hear it. And then Sigourney Weaver finally shows up what? at the end of yes. the credit scene, oh just like the other, the 2016 one, which feels like a big, big slap in the face. So I get it plot wise, but it still sucks. She, yeah, I can't believe that that's, <laughs> we're talking about all these stars coming back to this movie. And we talked about in the 2016 one, when we watched that and did that episode just a while ago, Kelsey was so fucking upset that Sigourney Weaver was relegated to a post-credit scene. And here she is again, relegated to a post-credit scene. Although plot-wise, it wouldn't make sense for her to show up. But we still. Agree. But still. They shove her in here, and she's giving that test from the beginning of the first movie to Peter. And he is actually succeeding. We find out it's because he marked the cards. And she's like, I can't believe you used to shock your, your students. And he's like, well, to tell you the truth, I only shocked the guys. And he says, it's flawed science. I know that now. I admit that because she keeps shocking him. It's a very cute interaction between the two of them. But yes, Sigourney Weaver is relegated to a post credit scene. We also get a deleted scene from the first movie that I can't remember if we talked about at the time. Because we talked about Janine having the hots for Egon and how it swaps to Lewis in the second movie. But this deleted scene is when they're going to go up into the building. She gives him a coin from the 1964 World's Fair in New York. And then it's her lucky coin. He says, I can't take it. What if I, we don't come back? She says, that's fine. I have another one. And so we cut to her and she's playing with her lucky coin. And she's talking to Winston, who is super rich and explaining that he bought back the firehouse. He's been funding Ray's bookstore this entire time. Yes, and someday he'll turn sweet. a profit. Yeah. But again, they don't say anything about what he does or how he did it. Just that it gave him the inspiration he needed. Because that's all a guy like Winston would need is just the inspiration. He could pick himself up by his own bootstraps. It's capitalism porn at its finest. <laughs> just like... I mean, kind of the first movie was. Mm -hmm. We do get something happens at the end, right? Oh, yeah. When he buys back the firehouse, we see that the containment unit is still there and the red light on it is flashing. So we could still get something else. And yes, we could get a second afterlife following Vigo. Like, that would be really cool. Mm -hmm. And since Janos lived, it'd be interesting to see what happened to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Could finally meet Sigourney's son. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Full grown adult. So what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I guess 83. Well, there's a pretty big gap between the official score and the audience score. Okay. The reviewer score is 62. Woo! Ghostbusters Afterlife crosses the streams between franchise revival and exercise in nostalgia. And this time around, the Bustin' mostly feels good. The audience score, however, is a 95. A great cast, a fast-paced story, and tons of callbacks to the original movies make Ghostbusters Afterlife fun for fans of the franchise. Has a Metacritic of 45. And again, a cinema score of an A-. 
minus. That's the thing. I think the movie feels good as it says here, an exercise in nostalgia. And the plot mostly works to support that exercise. I think they did that balancing act incredibly well. That's all well and good. The movie just ain't fun. Mm-mm. And a Ghostbusters movie should be fun. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest problem I have with it. So, keeping in mind that we both gave the first one a 95, we just gave the second one an 84 and an 85, respectively, and we gave the 2006 version a 45 and a 55, what would you give Ghostbusters Afterlife? I'm going to give it a 73. Yeah. I think it's a good movie. I just don't think it's It's just kind of boring. Yeah. It felt good. All the nostalgia stuff felt good. I'll I'll go higher than that. I think I'll give it a 76. But I don't feel great about that. <laughs> yeah, like I say, it's just not fun. I think it needed a lot of trimming. I think it needed more mm-hmm. music. I think it mm-hmm. needed more energy. Mm-hmm. I think it, ne- yeah, at, like focusing so much on like how much of a shitty dad Egon was, even though we all know there's got to be a reason why he came here. Like that was just a downer through a lot of the yeah. movie, and it it didn't spark energy and fun. So yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think a lot of the things people at the time complained about Ghostbusters two really apply to this one much, much more. I think Ghostbusters 2 is much closer to what Ghostbusters 1 was, mm-hmm. much, much closer than than this was. Not that it was a bad movie. It just wasn't fun enough. Mm-hmm. And that is our Ghostbusters week. We have wrapped up the Ghostbusters franchise unless they do something with this sequel or until the next time they reboot it. <laughs> we'll see. What are we watching next week? Next week is both a recommendation and a guest week. Yeah, Bob is coming back. Finally. We, we last had Bob on the show for Christine. Yes. Yeah, so, which is one of our favorite horror movies. Uh, Christine and Oculus, both of which we Very really enjoy. Movies. So we're bringing him back for a vampire week. Yes. To watch a movie finally, and I can't believe it's taken us this long, because Kelsey is fucking in love with this movie. Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. Yes, which was also recommended by Harry. So thank you, Harry, for recommending that. Yes, we were going to get to it anyway, because there was no way in hell we weren't watching it. When Kelsey and I took a sightseeing trip up the coast of California to the Bay Area, we made sure to stop by and go on the carnival rides and see the beach and all of that. So The pier. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And we've even seen the bridge. We didn't go to the bridge. Yeah. But we should have. But we've seen it. But yeah, we're fans of The Lost Boys and as 80s as that movie is. So what are we pairing up The Lost Boys with, Kelsey? Bob's Choice. Bob's Choice. Blood-sucking Bastards. Which is a comedy vampire movie. Hopefully it's as good as... Grabbers. The Shadows. Well, probably not. (laughs) But it is an Irish comedy horror movie like Grabbers was. We really so, like Grabbers. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. It's 2015's Bloodsucking Bastards, and it has Pedro Pascal in it. You know, the guy from Game of Thrones and The Mandalorian. Yes. The guy in Game of Thrones that gets killed and it just makes you go crazy. Yes, it, it makes you so, so mad. It's so stupid. <laughs> and that I really, really want to see in the unbearable weight of massive talent. 
Oh, God. I fucking love him as the Mandalorian. <laughs> but the unbearable weight of mess. He's the guy who hires Nick Cage <laughs> to be his buddy for a weekend or whatever the plot of that movie is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to see that. So I'm excited about this and I'm excited to have Bob on. Because yes. it's been far too long since we've had him on. Yes. So uh, look forward to that next week. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the most help you can give us there. And trust me, it's a huge help. So if you haven't already, go and do that. But even more important is sharing us with your friends. That's also a huge help. And even more important than that is just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Everything you are doing is bad. I want you to know this. I'm so glad I finally found you. That's that one in a million. Oh, one thing we didn't mention, I want to get this in the in the outtakes. One thing we didn't mention in the second movie is that when they go to that party and all the kids, Jason Reitman's there and all the kids wish that they were He-Man. Who are you going to call? He-Man. They're singing their theme song. They're playing Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters. Yeah, it exists in this so, world. So, yeah, in this world, they commissioned a song about themselves. Awesome. <laughs> or they didn't commission it. Or Ray Parker it. Jr. just made it. In celebration of my Adidas. Yeah, uh (laughs) Run DMC did do that. And Run DMC is in that movie. (laughs) They're on the soundtrack and they did the Ghostbusters (laughs) refresh. Interesting. All right. Can you say something for me? The ooze. Say a lot lifting me higher than I've ever been lifted before. Yes. That's the only reaction I get. Very good. <laughs> no, it's not. I love you. <laughs> I will always enjoy your singing. Uh-huh. I guess we're gonna have to take control. Let's get this party started right. Let's get this party started quickly. Right? Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. I really hope we get it. God, I hope we we get get it. it. I hope we get it. How many offers will they take? How (laughs) many high, how many low?